We're continuing our series in Genesis. Would you please turn turn to Genesis chapter 23. Genesis chapter 23. We're going to consider the death of a princess. The death of a princess. I'm going to read to you the whole chapter. That, that whole chapter of Genesis chapter 23 is dedicated to the death and the burial of Sarah, the wife of Abraham. Starting at verse 1. And Sarah was an hundred and seven and twenty years old. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kirjathabra. The name is Hebron in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham stood up from before his dead and spake unto the sons of Heth, saying, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me a possession of a burying place with you, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the children of Heth answered Abraham, saying unto him, Hear us, my Lord, thou art a mighty prince among us. In the choice of our sepulchres, bury thy dead. None of us shall withhold from thee his sepulchre, but that thou mayest bury thy dead. And Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, even to the children of Heth. And he communed with them, saying, If it be your mind that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me to Ephron the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he hath, which is in the end of his field. For as much money as it is worth, he shall give it me for a possession of a burying place among you. And Ephron dwelt among the children of Heth, And Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the audience of the children of Heth, even of all that went in at the gate of of his city, saying, Nay, my lord, hear me. The field give I thee, and the cave that is therein, I give it thee. In the presence of the sons of my people, give I it thee, bury thy dead. And Abraham bowed down himself before the people of the land, And he spoke unto Ephron in the audience of the people of the land, saying, But if thou wilt give it, I pray thee, hear me, I will give thee money for the field. Take it of me, and I will bury my dead there. And Ephron answered Abraham, saying unto him, My Lord, hearken unto me, the land is worth four hundred shekels of silver. What is that betwixt me and thee? Bury therefore thy dead. And Abraham hearkened unto Ephron. And Abraham weighed to Ephron the silver, which he had named in the audience of the sons of Heth, four hundred shekels of silver, current money with the merchant. And the field of Ephron, which was in Machpelah, which was before Mamre, the field and the cave which was therein, and all the trees that were in the field, that were in all the borders round about, were made sure. 
unto Abraham for possession in the presence of the children of Heth, before all that went in at the gate of his city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, the same as Hebron in the land of Canaan. And the field and the cave that is therein were made sure unto Abraham for a possession of a burying place by the sons of Heth. So this evening we're going to (coughs) consider the death of Sarah, the tears of her bereaved husband Abraham, and after that we'll consider Sarah's burial. First of all, the death of Sarah and the tears of Abraham. Like the rest of us, Sarah, don't like to speak ill of the dead, but like the rest of us, Sarah was not perfect. There is only one who's perfect. Who is he? God, Jesus. Perfect. But we're not. Neither was Sarah. For example, when the Lord called Abraham out of Mesopotamia, he conceived a little plan whereby every place that he and his wife Sarah went to, she would say that he was her brother. You remember that? In doing so, Abraham and Sarah hid the fact that they were husband and wife. In order to protect him, protect Abraham, from any man who might desire to have Sarah from himself, for himself. Even though she was getting on, she was still a beautiful woman. There were at least two occasions when Sarah went along with Abraham's little deception in Egypt and in Gerar. Then there was that matter of Sarah, who was barren, encouraging her husband to go into her maid, Hagar, to obtain a child. Consequently, a son was born to Abraham and this child's name was Ishmael. Thirteen years after the birth of Ishmael, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life, and lo, Sarah, thy wife, shall have a son. Sarah, who was listening in to what the Lord was saying to Abraham, laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? It's generally accepted by the commentators that her laughter was one of unbelief in what she was hearing. That she, an old and barren woman, would ever have a child. The whole thing was laughable. Sure enough, the Lord was true to his word and a year later when Sarah was 90 years old and Abraham was a 100, she gave birth to Isaac. Despite the faults that I've just mentioned and no doubt many other faults that I haven't mentioned, Sarah was dearly loved by God with an everlasting love. For example, the love of God for Sarah was manifested at the cross about 2,000 years after her death when the incarnate Son of God was wounded for her transgressions and bruised for her iniquities. And that leads me to ask, what about you, each one of you in here? Do you have a testimony that despite all your faults, 
despite being a hell-deserving sinner, your sins have been atoned for. You have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Jesus was wounded for your transgressions on the cross. He was bruised for your iniquities. All your sins are forgiven and now you stand before God accepted in the Beloved, in the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved you and who gave himself for you. Who can say that in here, hand on heart? Because it is possible if you are trusting in Jesus as your saviour from sin. Also Sarah, who was called Sarai, before the Lord changed her name, played an integral part in the working out of God's promise to Abraham that in him all the families of the earth would be blessed. Concerning her part in God's great plan of redemption, the Lord said to Abraham, As for Sarai, thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. The name that the Lord gave her, Sarah, do you know what it means? It means princess. What a lovely name to give her, princess. I think that in itself speaks a lot about the love of God for her. Like her husband Abraham, as someone who was trusting in the Lord and his promise of blessings that have their fulfilment in the seed of Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ, Sarah was a stranger and a pilgrim in the earth. She desired a better country, that is, and heavenly. And when she died, her physical death marked her entrance into heavenly glory. As such, although death is a taboo subject for many, it is the realisation of the believer's greatest hope. As the Apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That must surely be the sentiment of all who are in Christ. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That said, Sarah had been married to Abraham for at least 62 years and they had been through a lot together as one flesh. It's hardly surprising that when she died, we read in Genesis chapter 23 and verse 2 that Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. He came to weep for her. He wept despite knowing that she had been promoted to heavenly glory. I've seen the reaction of one or two Christians, I can still remember very clearly, in London when I was a missionary. I've seen the reaction of one or two Christians to the death of their loved ones who were also Christians. And although we're all different and we all deal with loss, in different ways, I nevertheless found it rather odd that there was no evidence whatsoever of any sorrow. Although they'd lost their loved ones. I get it that they would have been greatly comforted with the knowledge that their dearly departed 
had gone to an infinitely better place. And most wonderful, wonderful of all, they had gone to be with Jesus, which is far better. Even so, death is horrible. It's horrible. And that is because it is the consequence of sin. When God had finished his creative handiwork on the sixth day, and he saw that everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, there was no death. Death came later, when by one man sin sin entered the world, and death by sin. Death is the consequence of sin. I'll tell you something that you may find rather odd, and you may, may find rather silly, but here goes anyway. It won't surprise anyone who knows me, mind you. And that is that even when my dog died back in 2020, it was one of the saddest times of my life. I hated it. After all, I spent many hours with that dog, day after day for 12 years. I loved him, even though he was just a dog. When it comes to the death of people, human beings, the Bible tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ, by taking upon himself flesh and blood and by dying on the cross, he destroyed him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. That's good news, isn't it? Consequently, all of you who truly believe that Jesus died on the cross as he carried away your sins in his own body will not have to face the second death, which is everlasting punishment in hell. And that is because you have, you have forgiveness for sins and you have everlasting life in your risen Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is truly wonderful news and praise be to God for the glorious truth that you, dear Christian, you will never perish. However, you know as well as I do that everyone will still die that first death, a physical death, and that includes Christians, unless, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ comes first. And for some of us, that death might be particularly nasty. Death is never nice anyway, but for some it's more terrible than for others. Only when Jesus comes again in judgment will death itself be destroyed. In the meantime, people are dying all the time. The big difference between those who belong to Jesus and those who don't is that in death, and perhaps particularly in death, Jesus is with his redeemed, comforting them and enabling them to glorify him in death as in life. I've seen it for myself, that peace, that serenity in dying saints, and that speaks volumes of the Lord ministering to them and comforting them in their deathbeds. That doesn't alter the fact that death brings to an end those special and cherished relationships such as marriages and even very close friendships. We can love friends as much as family and let's be honest, we can love friends more than family. We can't choose our family, 
although we can choose our friends. And that is surely a time to mourn and a time to weep when we lose those whom we love. Just as Abraham wept when his dear wife Sarah died. Nothing wrong with that. I don't know about you, but I've even found myself weeping. There's a time for confessions tonight. I found myself weeping in sympathy for others who have lost someone dear to them and I haven't even known the person who they're weeping for. But just seeing them weep, it's made me feel weepy. Because it's a horrible thing. It's a very sad time. And you feel for them and there's that sympathy for them. And that leads me to consider with you the sinlessly perfect man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he is the eternal son of God, his humanity was seen when he did not hold back or hide his tears at the tomb of Lazarus, whom he loved. It is written in John chapter 11, verse 35 and 36, Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, behold how he loved him. They could clearly see it. It was something that was visible to those Jews for them to be able to say, behold how he loved him. Also, as the Bible commentator William Hendrickson said, those tears were the expression of love. Love not only for Lazarus, but also for Mary, Martha and others. They were the tears of genuine sympathy. Since physical death will be the portion of all of us and of our dearly beloved, including husbands, wives, other close family members, it was inevitable that I should spend a fair bit of time considering the death of Sarah and the tears of her husband. For the rest of the time, we'll consider Sarah's burial. Look at verses 3 through to 6 in Genesis chapter 23. And Abraham stood up from before his dead and spake unto the sons of Heth, saying, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me a possession of a burying place with you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the children of Heth answered Abraham, saying unto him, Hear us, my Lord, thou art a mighty prince among us. In the choice of our sepulchres or or tombs, bury thy dead. None of us shall withhold from thee his sepulchre, but that thou mayest bury thy dead. Despite being regarded as a mighty prince by the people in the land of Canaan, Abraham declared himself to be nothing more than a stranger and a sojourner in the land. Despite accumulating much wealth, he was nothing more than a pilgrim in the world. He lived in tents and he didn't even possess land with a burying uh, burying ground. He didn't possess land with uh, a tomb in which to bury his wife Sarah. What followed in verse 13 onwards, I'm not going to read it all again now, but what followed in verse 13 onwards was Abraham negotiating with Ephron, the son of Zohar, 
to acquire a field with a cave in which to Sarah and Abraham paid 400 shekels of silver for the field which included the cave in which to bury his wife. As I was thinking about this, I I was thinking about the alternative to, to burial. I've been thinking about this a lot over the years. The, the alternative to burial being, of course, cremation, which seems to be the way forward, cremation. We live in a world in which cremation has become increasingly, increasingly popular. For example, over 70% of dead bodies are now cremated in the UK. As someone who was born in London and having spent much of my life in that crowded city, I'm not surprised that so many people opt for cremation. And for much of my life, cremation seemed like a good idea. It seemed to make sense to me. After all, it's not as if there are a lot of vacant plots in the, um, in the graveyards in London. They're full up. And there's talk now of burying bodies on top of bodies in existing plots. They don't know what to do. They're running out of places in which to bury people. Thus far, my father, my mother, my two brothers, they've all been cremated. Although cremation has become increasingly popular, don't imagine that it is a modern invention. Funeral pyres, which are wooden structures made for burning corpses, are primitive forms of cremation and have been used throughout history. Even now, funeral pyres are used in various pagan religions. No different to a cremation, a funeral pyre, a wooden structure on which to burn a dead body. Apparently, cremation was widely practiced in Rome until about a hundred years after Christ, but fell out of favour with the spread of Christianity. Isn't that interesting? That it fell out of favour with the spread of Christianity. And even in the Old Testament era, we see that Abraham spent what is thought to have been a huge sum of money to buy the cave of Machpelah with a burying place. Not only was Sarah buried in that cave, so too was Abraham and Abraham's son Isaac and Isaac's wife, Rebekah, and their son, Jacob. All buried in the the cave at Machpelah. Why is it that the Bible does not seem to promote cremation? Admittedly, there is one account... And that account is in 1 Samuel chapter 31 of King Saul, the first king of Israel. It's at the very end of 1 Samuel. I'll just read it to you briefly. King Saul and his sons, they died on Mount Gilboa. Saul was then beheaded by the Philistines and he and his sons were hanged. Valiant men of Israel recovered their bodies and they burned them. Commentators give their reasons why the valiant men of Israel burnt their bodies. We're not told. The Bible doesn't tell us. And uh, we don't need to speculate. But that's about it. 
as far as burning bodies go, the, that's what we read there at the end of 1 Samuel chapter 31. Apart from that, what you will see in the Old Testament are verses along the lines of, so David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And in the New Testament, John the Baptist, another one who was beheaded, he too was buried. We're told that John the Baptist was buried. So, what is the big deal with burial as opposed to cremation with the Old Testament saints and New Testament Christians? Because we see it in the Old Testament and New Testament. Burial. For one thing, we're not just spirits, are we? We're not spirits. God has fearfully and wonderfully made each one of us with bodies in our mother's wombs and just as we who are trusting in Jesus as our saviour from sin have been regenerated spiritually, so too will our bodies be regenerated and made like unto our saviour's glorious body on the last day. As such, do we not have a duty of care of our bodies in life? And in death, instead of simply choosing to be disposed of by cremation at death, rather like the household waste and the rubbish on our island is disposed of in a great big incinerator. Because that's what it comes down to. Also, the Lord Jesus Christ himself was placed in a tomb. Whilst the circumstances of his death and what happened afterwards are very, very different to anyone else's. Surely, as far as possible, we who belong to Jesus desire to be imitators of Jesus. However, having said that, it must be emphasised that it was all very, very different in the case of Jesus with his death and his burial. Jesus is the Son of God. Yet we read in Philippians chapter 2 verses 7 and 8 that he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus, the Son of God, became flesh and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, having lived in perfect obedience to God's law on behalf of all who would ever receive him as their saviour from sin and their Lord, he laid down his life. He died bearing away their sins in his body, bearing away your sins if you belong to Jesus when he died on that cross. After his sacrificial death, the Lord Jesus Christ, he was placed in a borrowed tomb where his body did not see corruption. On the third day, Jesus rose triumphantly and all who are in him, having trusted in him, have everlasting life, having been crucified with him. The Apostle Paul expressed that glorious truth when he said, 
I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God, who loved me and who gave himself for me. It's fair to say that burial is biblical in both the Old and the New Testaments. That has to be worth something if you are a serious-minded Christian. It's something that I've been thinking over for many years as a Christian. Yet another confession. Finally, I'll leave you to do whatever you truly believe to be right with regards to your own funeral arrangements. Whether you would like to be burned in an incinerator like a piece of rubbish or else follow the biblical pattern of being buried. However, one thing I will say with all the authority of the word of God is that all of you who do not obey the gospel of Christ will be eternally punished in a big incinerator called hell. Therefore, repent, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptised for the forgiveness of your sins and you will be saved. Amen.